Here we go. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John, First uh, John, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, and they read, We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Those are super kind words. Um, hold on one second. Let me get my situation figured out. All right. Super kind words, and I want to return the favor. So I planned this before I knew he was going to say that. So I'm not just trying to be nice back to him. But, uh, you know, for me, just the last couple of months has been just a true blessing to be part of this church and you know, pastors Nick and Ashley have only been here for eight months now, and just to see how the church has grown and gotten super healthy, and just what God's doing here has been a blessing for me, just to get to watch that. So what I want to do, because this is their first week not preaching, so what I want to do is just give them a round, or just a round of applause and thank them for what they're doing for us, because, um, because I truly believe this when I say this. I just think that they really love our city, and they really love our campus of you and I, and I'm just so blessed to have them as my pastors, and I think you guys probably feel the same way. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Daniel, and you know, something that uh, sometimes happens, because my brother led worship here for a few months, is you think I'm my little brother, and I'm in school. <laughs> I'm not Derek, uh, and I'm not in school, so I just wanted to clear that up. I'm the Kyle Alpha director at UNI, I am only 24 years old, so I can see where you think I'm still in college. But uh, yeah, so anyways, I wanted to clear that up. And then my wife is Emily, and she's sitting right there between her parents, if you'd raise your hand. Awesome. All right, so something I love to do when I uh, speak at churches for the first time, and this is my first time preaching here, is just share my story, because it's a pretty cool story, just how God intersected my life. Uh, for me, so back when I was three or four years old, my mom got into a car accident and broke her neck, and both my mom and my dad were not Christians growing up. They didn't really know anything about God or Jesus. And through the witnessing of a pastor's wife, who happened to be the secretary at the doctor's office where my mom was getting her checkups and all that, uh, they came to know Jesus. So this is when I was three or four years old. So for me, all I've known my whole life is the church. And, and I was pumped up about Jesus as a kid. I was that kid in children's church that was answering every question about David and Goliath and Noah's Ark. I loved it. I was into it. But then when I got into high school, there were some things that happened in my church that just caused me to be bitter at God. Um, there's some things that happened with my lead pastor that just weren't honoring to God, and I just thought if my pastor could do this, then how could God be a good God? That's what I thought. And I struggled with that for two years, and in the midst of that struggle, I began to look to other things other than God to satisfy me. So I began to drink on the weekends and do things with girls that just weren't honoring to God. And I was claiming to be a Christian. Kids knew me as a Christian. But then I was at parties on the weekends. And there'd be times I'd be drinking at a party and a kid would come up to me and be like, hey, aren't you a Christian? I'd be like, yeah, but I love to party too. That was just my life in high school. And, uh, and this kind of came to a breaking point for me in July of 2011. So this would be six years ago now. Uh, it was July 22nd. And just this night where I did a ton of things that just brought me to rock bottom for me. Like, I had some standards, although I partied a lot and did all that. I had some standards. I said, I can't do these things if I still want to be a Christian. And I took everything over the line, and I did all the things that I thought that Christians couldn't do in that night. It was a bad night for me. And then the next morning, I went home, 
and uh, just went into my bedroom, and I shut the door, turned on some worship music, and I just wept before the Lord, and I just, because I thought he could never forgive me. I thought I'd finally crossed all the lines where God's love couldn't go that far, and I just asked God, I said, could you forgive me, and I didn't really hear anything. I just kept weeping, and then in that moment, my mom came into my bedroom, and she just kind of knew what happened. Uh, she's kind of prophetic. She's in touch with God. She kind of knew what happened. She just began to pray for me, and she just prayed, God, show Daniel your love. And in that moment, I just heard the voice of God. If I've ever heard the voice of God, I heard it in that moment. And I just heard him say, Daniel, there's nothing you could ever do that could separate you from my love. And that inflamed my heart. Like something happened in that moment. I can still feel the same feelings as I felt just that morning as I felt God's love rush through my body, and it changed me. It was a supernatural experience, and it doesn't happen that way for everyone. But for me, it was this tangible supernatural experience where it went from something in my head that I understood that Jesus died on the cross for me to something in my heart, and I was completely transformed. I was different. I never went back to the same lifestyle that I was living before. And in God's providence, there was a guy named Jonathan Bartholo who was trying to plant a Chi Alpha ministry on the campus of UNI, and that's where I was planning to go to school. And Jonathan uh, just got my phone number from my youth pastor because he heard I played drums on the, or on the worship team. And Jonathan said, hey, would you come and play drums for our campus ministry? And I'm thinking, this is going to be sweet. There's going to be like 100 kids there. All the girls are going to love me. <laughs> and uh, I show up to play drums the first week, and I realize that there's more people on the worship team than in the crowd. Uh, there's like 15 people there. Uh, you know, one of them was my wife, Emily, and that's where I met her. Very first Kyle for service that ever happened on the campus. I met my wife. Now, that's God's providence right there. Praise the Lord. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so anyways, and God just used Chi Alpha to change my life. So I had, you know, been kind of reignited for God in that moment in July, but God knew I needed a community to come around me to help me to mature in the Lord, to grow, to, or to fully leave the things of sin or the patterns of sin in my life. And through Chi Alpha, I experienced discipleship. I felt called in to ministry, so I was planning on doing political science and trying to be a politician. Thank God he got me out of that. Uh, but I uh, felt called into ministry, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we talked about that just a little bit last week on Pentecost Sunday, but this experience where I just was filled with the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and my life completely changed. And then after my sophomore year, so I went to this church. I don't know if you remember me, for those of you from back then. I played drums like once a month. Probably didn't show up a lot of other times, because I was like, either going home or sleeping in, I'm sorry, but anyways, I did come to this church, and it's actually pretty cool. I preached two of my first three messages in this church, so this church has a special place in my heart, but anyways, uh, felt called into ministry, so after my sophomore year, we transferred up to, or to Minneapolis, Minnesota. I went to a Christian university there to pursue pastoral studies, and my wife went to the University of Minnesota, and she was studying accounting there, and we got involved in the Chi Alpha ministry there, and I became an intern for that ministry, and God was doing cool things and working on my heart, preparing me for, for ministry. And in the meantime, Pastor Jonathan had left um, the campus, and he planted a church in Waverly here in uh, Cedar Falls. He left Chi Alpha, and there was two years where Chi Alpha just didn't have a director. So it was partially run by the church. Uh, students were leading it. And because there wasn't any leadership, really, it was difficult for it to grow. So it had been at about 50 students, and it kind of dwindled down to 15 to 20. Uh, and then in November 2014, uh, Drew Meyer, who is the state director of Chi Alpha, or he was, he just actually moved on to pastor a church, but Drew called me on the phone and said, hey, would you be willing to come back and be the director of the UNI Chi Alpha? And I'm 21 at the time, so I'm in college, and he's asking me to come back. I'm like, how am I going to lead 
other college students. I'm 21 years old. This guy doesn't know what he's doing, but anyways, no, he did. But, uh, but because of my connection with the campus and my personal story, it just made a lot of sense. So then in August of 2015, I had graduated college. I completed my internship, and we came back here to kind of re-pioneer Chi Alpha at UNI. And what God has done over the last two years, maybe you don't know, but it's been amazing in our Chi Alpha. Uh, or so when we got here, there's about 15, 20 students, and, and we just began to believe that God wanted to give all 12,000 students an opportunity to know Jesus, not just the 20 of us. And, uh, and God did something amazing just over, just over the last two years, as there have been 35 students who have been baptized in water, uh, 75 students have raised their hand for salvation, and just as Pastor Nick said, the group has grown to now Anywhere on a Tuesday night, it can be anywhere between 75 and 95 students who show up regularly. And, and I believe we're just getting started. So, yeah, let's give God a clap for that. Um, I believe we're, that's the thing, though. And then God brought pastors Nick and Ashley here to pastor this church. And I believe that God is orchestrating something. I can feel it. I can see it in our midst. God is orchestrating something where this church is getting so healthy. Kyle is growing. I'm telling you that God is positioning us to reach our community like never before. I believe in the next five to ten years that God's going to do something that just, uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, something that you've never seen before. As God reaches the campus and reaches our city. Uh, and something I want to do, though, just take a few seconds. I want to explain Chi Alpha to you. So if you throw up the next slide here, um, here's the deal. Chi Alpha sounds like it's a fraternity or a sorority. It's not. We don't have a house anywhere. It's, it, or it's not that. It's a campus ministry, and I want to just kind of talk about the bare bones for a second, because if we're going to do this, if we're going to reach our city and reach our campus together, then you need to know what I'm doing on the campus. You can't just say, hey, what's Chi Alpha? This guy comes to our church. He's doing something on the campus. I don't know what it is. Let's talk about it real quick. So first question I want to answer is just the basic question, what is Chi Alpha? So Chi Alpha is focused on winning college students on secular campuses to Jesus. So three things can happen. We have a three-pronged, uh, just there's just a, there's three aspects of our mission. So the first thing is we want to transform the university. So I believe that God wants to give all 12,000 students on our campus an opportunity to know him. I believe God wants to transform the University of Northern Iowa. I believe that God wants to send revival to our campus. I believe that. I believe God wants to transform our university, and he's going to do it partially through Chi Alpha and then also other campus ministries. The second thing is God wants to, to use Chi Alpha to transform the marketplace. Because what we do in Chi Alpha is we don't just reach uh, students for the campus, but also we raise them up to go into the marketplace and to be equipped to share their faith with their friends and their coworkers in the marketplace as adults. That's our second thing. We want to raise them up, send them into the marketplace. And the third thing is we want to transform the world. So Kyle is one of the just most effective organizations for raising up foreign missionaries. We send foreign missionaries all over the world because on the secular campus, the students are being trained on how to be a missionary. Every single day, they're going into classrooms they're going into environments that are hostile to the gospel, and they're learning to share their faith. So it's an amazing training ground to raise up foreign missionaries. The second question I want to answer is this. How do we do it? So you can throw up the next slide. So there's three things we do, really. First thing is we have worship gatherings. Every Tuesday night, uh, we take the trailer back here. Maybe you didn't know what the trailer was for, but uh, or we take it to the campus. There's a ton of sound equipment in, in there, and we set it up, and we do a worship service like right on campus every single Tuesday night. And the service is focused on proclaiming the gospel and also just helping students mature in their faith. And then the second thing we do is we have student-led small groups. So a big push for me, as soon as I meet a student, I start praying and saying, God, could you raise them up to be small group leaders? Because I believe if they can learn to lead a small group, then they'll be able to share their faith and they'll be equipped to lead other people in the things of the Lord. And our vision, this is our dream, 
is that Chi Alpha would have a male and female small group in every dorm on every night of the week, other than Tuesdays, because that's Chi Alpha night, <laughs> but every night of the week, because I want to see an expression of the kingdom of God in every single living space at you and I. I believe that God can do that. And the third thing is this, we have weekend events. So we use the church a lot for uh, things like Holy Spirit nights and prayer nights and retreats and all that kind of stuff. So those are the three things we really do. And then the third thing is, why do we have Chi Alpha? And in this sentence, I believe we have Chi Alpha because college is the most strategic time to reach someone with the gospel. It's the most strategic time. And why do I say that? I say that because in college, students are making decisions that are going to affect them for the rest of their lives. They're choosing their jobs. They're choosing their spouses a lot of times. They're choosing what they believe about the world. And I believe God has called us to intersect uh, students during that season to help them center their lives on Jesus. And there's really four other things, too. There's four other things. One, students need to hear the gospel. So here's the reality. Every student that comes to you and I does not know the gospel. They do not know the good news of Jesus. That may have been the case 20 years ago, but that's not the case today. The second thing is we need to protect the investment of our youth group. So there's churches all over our state and all over our nation that have youth groups, and they raise students up in the Lord, and then they send them to college, and the statistics say that four to five students will fall away from their faith in college. And I'm just going to say not on our watch. Like, I want to see these students continue to mature in their faith. Third thing is international students. So I love to say that I'm a foreign missionary because there are Saudi Arabian students on our campus, a huge population, and Saudi Arabia is a country that is closed to the gospel. So how amazing would it be if God would use us to reach these students during this season when they're in America and send them back to Saudi Arabia to infiltrate that country with the gospel? And the fourth thing is to reach our future leaders. So you want to transform our nation, you transform our campuses. Where the campuses go, there the world goes. That's the way it goes. And every generation, as the college campus is moving, that's where the world goes. So I believe God has called us to reach the future leaders. So the last thing I want to do when it comes to sharing about Chi Alpha, share a few pictures. If you throw up the next picture here. Um, yeah, so here was our first service this last year. And this was amazing. As we were praying, saying, God, can you bring 100 students? We had 94, so we were close. But God, bring 100 students to our service, and that was our launch service. If you, if you show the next picture here. I love this picture. This is our worship team, first of all. Like, our worship team's amazing. But I love this picture because there's seven people in this picture. And two years ago, when Emily and I came back here, four of these students weren't really following the Lord passionately. One of them is our own Dan Benson. So Dan Benson has grown up in church. He's been a Christian his whole life, but through Chi Alpha, Dan reconnected with God, got baptized in water, got transformed, became the worship leader here. It's amazing what God can do in just a couple years. There's also John Griffin on the drums. And I'll tell his story in a little bit. But when John came here, John was not a Christian. Found Jesus through Chi Alpha, transformed. Then there's Nick Barron's on the keyboard. Same situation. Kind of grew up in the church, but just wasn't passionate about Jesus. Got just lit on fire for God through Chi Alpha. And then also the girl named Lexi on the acoustic. Four of them were not really following Jesus two years ago, but through Chi Alpha, God has intersected their lives, and then, and now they're leading worship for their peers. How amazing is that? All right, let's show another picture. We'll go to the next one. This is our fall retreat this last fall, and maybe this is something I need to pray about. It's a little bit of pride, but this is the largest group that an Iowa Chi Alpha has ever brought to fall retreat. Maybe that's pride. I need to go pray and get humble, but that's pretty cool. There's, you know, 60 of us there, uh, and then there's one more picture I want to show. So this is our current space where we meet on Tuesday nights. Uh, you can see Jocelyn in the middle tearing it up, you know, singing her brains out. All right. Uh, so anyways, yeah, so those are some pictures I wanted to share. 
But as I prayed about this morning, I felt like God wanted me to talk a little bit about Chi Alpha, obviously, but also our heart for mission. God's called each of us, if we're Christians, to be missionaries. And I felt like God wanted me to talk about that. But the thing I don't want to do is try to convince you intellectually to be a missionary. I don't want to try to convince you that that you should go out and share your faith, because I think we know that as Christians we're called to do that. But instead what I want to do is try to capture your heart for mission and talk about our motivation for mission. What's the thing that gets us to go out and share our faith? Because for me, if I just feel like I have to do it, like God's saying, go share your faith, and I just grit my teeth and I try harder, it does not work out very well. But instead, when I'm being motivated by God's love for me to share my faith, it's much easier. So if God's love is motivating me, like, hey, I have to tell people about Jesus, it's much easier than if I'm just like, hey, you know, I'm supposed to share my faith. It says in the Bible, it says make disciples of all nations. That doesn't work for me. So what I want to do today is just try to compel you, try to convince our desires as a collective body, our hearts, to want to live a life of mission. We need to want deep down in our gut, like it needs to be something inside of us that just burns to live on mission. We just want to tell, people about, or to tell people about Jesus. We just genuinely desire to share our faith with our friends. And how does that happen? That happens when our hearts are so inflamed with the love of God that our mission isn't a drag, but it's a joy. It's a true joy. We realize the depth and the gravity of God's love for us, and that compels us to go out and say, hey, we have to share our faith with this community. We've experienced God's love so much so that I have to tell people about this love. That's how you'll be effective as a missionary. And I'm calling you a missionary because every single, or every single Christian is a missionary. Now, I get to do it as an occupation, but every single Christian, everyone who is called by Jesus to be a follower of him is also a missionary. So I'm going to call you missionaries today if that's okay. But uh, yeah, so anyways, God's love for us is what should push us to want to live a life of mission. So I want to pray real quick, and then we'll jump into the text more. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you again for Pastor Nick and Ashley and just everything that they've been doing for our church. And uh, God, I pray today that you would just grab our heart for mission. God, I pray that, that as we walk out of this room, it wouldn't just be an intellectual message where we understand something in our head, but instead we would understand it in our hearts and we'd be compelled to go love on our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the main idea today is this. The fuel for mission is love. The fuel for mission is love. So just as a car needs gasoline to run, we need God's love to fuel us to run the race of faith, and more specifically, to live a life of mission. We need God's love to motivate us to go do this. So God doesn't want us to simply know in our minds or, or intellectually ascend to the idea that, yes, we're supposed to make disciples, but instead, God wants us to burn with passion to make disciples. God wants us to, to be motivated by his love to make disciples. So James K.A. Smith, a Christian professor of philosophy, talks about God's desire to capture our hearts and not just inform our minds in his book, You Are What You Love. So let's read this quote. He says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He's after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. His teaching doesn't just touch the calm, cool, collected spaces of reflection and contemplation, but he's a teacher who invades the heated, passionate regions of the heart. 
So we take this and we, and we apply this to mission. Smith would suggest that if we want to live a life of mission, then we don't need to simply be convinced that it's a good thing to do. If you're a Christian, it probably doesn't sit right with you, at least intellectually, that there's people all around us dying and going to hell. If we don't need to be convinced of that, we know that's the case. But instead, our hearts need to be captivated with God's love, so much so that a life of mission just overflows from our hearts. So our text this morning came from 1 John 4, and I want to read verse 19 again. It says, we love because he first loved us. So we love in response to God's love for us. If we want to genuinely love God and love people, as Professor Smith talks about, then we need to encounter God's love first. We can't just be intellectually convinced. So Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So you want to deal with sin? Like you want to deal with your external behaviors? Then look at your heart. Say, God, what's going on in my heart? Because everything flows from your heart. So if you're not motivated to tell people or to tell people about Jesus, then you have to look at your heart. You have to say, what's going on in my heart? If we want to do more for God, if we want to be more for God, then we have to be filled with his love. We have to see the desires of our hearts change. We have to have a genuine experience and encounter with God's love. So might God touch the passionate regions of our heart this morning. That's my prayer. When I prayed, that's what I said to the Lord this morning. I said, God, this message, if it's just an intellectual exercise, then it's, it's not going to be very good. It's just not going to be, because I'm just telling you to experience something that I can't control. I can't make you experience God's love. So this message, this message actually needs to be in, or experienced. You need to experience this message. You need to experience God's love. That's what I'm praying for you this morning because it's all about experiencing his love, and I can't make you do that, but I can try to convince you and show you in the scriptures of God's great love for us. So I'm going to try to argue this point and specifically argue that God's love should or should motivate us to live a life of mission with two points. So the first point I want to say is this. God's love conspels, or compels us, not conspels, compels us to respond in love for him which is characterized by living a life of obedience to him. So 1 John shows us that Christianity is not a do religion. It's not a go do something. It's instead a response religion. It teaches us that everything we do is, re is a response to God's initiating love. We don't do good things in order to be loved. Some of you need to hear that. We don't do good things for God in order to be loved, but instead we just simply respond to his great love by giving our whole hearts to him. So John Stott says it well. He says, God's love was primary. All true love is a response to his initiative. Our very capacity to love, whether the object of our love be God or our neighbor, is due entirely. It's entirely due to his prior love for us and in us. So Christianity is not a religion that says, go work harder, do more stuff, go to church more, and God may love you. Instead, it's a religion that says, just look up and realize what God has done for you through his son and respond to, to that love accordingly by living a life of obedience. So we are compelled by God's love to respond in love for him, which is characterized by obedience. So as we begin to love God in response to his love, our lives will begin to transform. When you decide to follow Jesus, when you respond to his love by actually loving him back, you will begin to change. That's something that happens. Your desires will begin to change. Your passions will begin to change. You'll begin to view people differently. So if you haven't 
So here's the deal. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you have never experienced transformation or change at all in your life, if you've never been compelled by God's love to be different than you were before, then I got to ask you today, have you encountered the God of the Bible? Because when people encounter this God of the Bible, when people encounter Jesus, they're different. You can't live the same way because his love is so ferocious. It's so off the charts that it compels you to be a different person than you were before or before. So today, I want to ask you, come into contact with his love and allow it to motivate you to live a life of obedience to him. Allow it to compel you to be different and allow it to compel you to share the love of God with your coworkers and your community. Allow it to compel you to want to live a holy life. Allow it to compel you to be in biblical community, to commit to a local church, to confess your sins to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Allow God's love to compel you to surrender your entire life to him. So Matthew 6, 24 says this. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And you cannot serve both God and money. So this is Jesus talking. And the reason I share this is, is when you just, or when you encounter Jesus and you decide to follow him, then you must decide to follow him alone. The reality is, like at least in the American church, I think far too often we want to serve God and something else. We want to serve God and comfort. We want to serve God and money. We want to serve God and sex. It doesn't matter what it is. I feel like as a church, a lot of times we fall guilty to saying, hey, I want to serve Jesus. This sounds good to me. He sounds like he loves me. That's cool. But I also want to serve something else. But this text says you cannot serve two, or two masters. You cannot serve two masters. So I pray as a church, pray as a community, we would commit that, that as a church we're going to only serve one master. And when you compel God's love, you can't help but actually just serve one master. You can't have two. Like for me, I tried to serve two masters in high school. I tried to serve the master of God and pleasure. And it just tore me apart. So today I want to ask you, if you've been serving two masters, to give that to Jesus and say, God, can your love compel me to just serve one master? Because you can't just try harder. Instead, you have to have an experience with his love. And that will compel you to want to serve one master alone. So John Griffin came to church today, which is cool because I was going to share a story. If we throw up a picture of him, you don't really need the picture because he's right there. But uh, he's pointing at a panther. If we get that picture up there anyways, it'll come up. But so during the first week of, let's see here, the fall of 2015, it was our first semester here, I met, or actually I already knew him, but I connected with a freshman guy named John. I knew him growing up in high school. He was in my brother's grade. And for me, you know, I'm trying to get Kyle off the ground again, and John's like the only kid I know, so I'm like, I'm going to get John and Kyle. I got to get him. If I can't get him, I should just quit. So uh, I show up to John's dorm the first week, um, pretty much just tell him I'm coming over, and he's freaked out because we never really talked that much before. But anyways, I show up, I come into his dorm room, and I say, or I tell John about Kai Alpha. He's kind of sitting there like, this dude's crazy. Can I play my video games again? And I'm t- telling him about Kai Alpha. And I tell him about small groups and all this stuff. And I said, John, just come to Kyle once. If you hate it, then you never have to come back. If you love it, then you're going to want to stay. And, uh, and John had grown up in church. He told me this later. But, but John had grown up in church. He had, you know, been in a traditional church, whatever. Um, but he just had never really followed Jesus with his whole heart. And during the first service, John came. He sat, like, in the second row to the back. I can remember it. And uh, he said that there's just this moment during the service where he felt like, like in his spirit, he just felt that this was his life now. That's how he said it to me. 
the week after. He just said, this is my life now. And I think that really illustrates God's love and, and what it should compel us to do. When we encounter God's love as John did, you just say, this is my life now. You don't keep your other stuff. You don't say, okay, I'll take Jesus, but I want to keep doing everything I want to do. I want to believe whatever I want to believe. No, Jesus is a jealous God. God's a jealous God, and he says, follow me alone. And that's what John said. He said, this is my life now. And it's been amazing to watch John transform as he gave up things like video games, like, which is hard to do for college freshmen. Uh, gave up different things in his life that, that just were competing for his affections. And, and now John's a small group leader for Chi Alpha. He's planning to, or to go into full-time ministry. He is our student body president, our Chi Alpha president. So God grabbed John's heart that first week, and he's and he's never been the same. So my prayer for us today is that God would grab our hearts like he did John's, where John just has this spirit, and I know he's right there, so it might be a little awkward. I'm just kind of tooting your horn. But he has this spirit where he's like, whatever God wants to do, I'm going to do it. And sometimes he encourages me to be that way more so. And I just pray as a church that each of us could have that spirit. Just whatever Jesus says to do, we're going to do that. All right, the second point I want to make is this. God's love compels us to respond in love for people, which is characterized by living a life of mission. So this is a really profound sermon. The first point was pretty much, you know, you should love God. The second point is you should love people, okay? So I'm just taking notes from Jesus, the two great commandments. All right, so if we want to be a people on mission, then we have to encounter God's love, or so much so that, that we just become captured by his love for both him or for his love in a way where it causes us to love both God and people. There's two things that will happen. You'll love God and you'll love people. So our love for others is a response to God's love for us. So you can't just grit your teeth and say, I want to love people today. I stink at loving people on my own. I don't know about you. I don't have a very, I don't have a, a lot of patience with people. I can, you know, get mad, whatever. But when God's love is encouraging me, I can love people a lot easier. And also with sharing our faith, it applies to sharing our faith. If God's love is motivating us to love people, then when we see people, we don't see them as just another person, but, but instead we see them as people who God wants to have relationship with. So God's love needs to compel us to love people. So 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says this from our text this morning. John says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us the command this command, that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So John wasn't being particularly polite here or politically correct. He says, if you claim to love God, but you hate your brother or sister, then you're a liar. Think about if we preach that way. Just, you're a liar, everyone leave. But anyways, <laughs> so I'll take it a step further. If you claim to have been changed by the love of God, but every day you walk by people who are headed to hell, and you don't want to tell them about Jesus at all, you don't have any inkling in your heart, to share the gospel with them, then John might say, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying what he's saying. I'm not saying this, so don't get mad at me. But John might say, you're a liar. He might say, you have never encountered God's love. How do we know if we've encountered God's love? Yes, we'll love God, but also we'll love people. We'll have a genuine desire to share our faith with people. And that's where the, the sermon kind of ties together. See, the fuel for, for our mission is love. It, if we're going to be missionaries, if we're going to compel people and plead with people to follow Jesus, guys, we have to have an encounter with God's love where it motivates us to do that, where it motivates us to love people. So when we have this encounter, when we begin to love people, four things are going to happen when it comes to mission, okay? So I'm just going to share those, then I'm done. I'm almost done. 
the first thing that's going to happen, I kind of said this, but as we encounter God's love, we're going to begin to see the eternal value of each person we come across. So as God's love fills our hearts, and as we begin to truly love God and love people, we begin to see people not as a person in the road who doesn't know how to do the roundabout well, you get angry, (laughs) but instead you see each person as a potential son or daughter of God. You say, this person is made in the image of God, and God desires to have a relationship with this person. See, 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So once you, and actually just before this verse, Paul says, for the love of Christ compels us. So maybe I should preach on that. But anyways, it goes with the sermon title. But anyways, the the love of Christ will compel you to to not regard people from from a, a worldly point of view, but instead you see eternity in that person. And you can't just pass that person by without sharing the love of Jesus with them. Now, I'm not saying that you just go running around telling everyone about Jesus, every single person you see. If you want to do that, go for it. But I think there's better ways to go about it. But I'm saying when, or when God gives you opportunities to share your faith or to love on a person, you'll do that. So that leads me to the second thing. We'll begin to look for opportunities to share the gospel. So I'm kind of an introvert, um, and I don't like talking to people I don't know most of the time, okay? So I understand this. Sometimes you're like, I just want to go do this. I just want to go to the store, get my stuff, go home, do my thing, be alone, whatever. But, but if we're compelled by Christ's love, we can't just go to the grocery store anymore just saying, hey, I'm going to do me. I'm going to get my stuff. I'm going to get out of here. Instead, we're looking. We're scanning. We're saying, God, is there an opportunity for me to share your love with someone? In Chi Alpha, we call these divine appointments. We say, God, can you give me a divine appointment where I can share your love with somebody? So you don't just go up to every single person you see and share your faith, but instead you say, God, are you giving me a doorway to share my faith with this person? So for me, it's easy. People say, hey, what do you do? I say, hey, I'm a pastor. Let's talk about that. And we just talk about God's love for them. It's easy for me, but God will give you opportunities if you look for it. I dare you to pray one morning and say, God, give me an opportunity to share my faith at work. That's one of the easiest places to do it. And then just wait, because something's going to happen that day. Someone's going to be struggling with something. God will give you an opportunity to share your faith. So Romans 10, 14, I love this verse. It's my life verse. Paul says this. He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So, or so maybe you've heard this quote, or it says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I just think that's dumb, because you look at this verse, Paul says, how then are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how can they be saved if they don't believe? And how are they to hear if someone's not preaching to them? So I'm here to tell you, you can't just hold a door for someone and say, Jesus, please show them the gospel. No, you have to use your mouth. You have to use your lips. You have to tell them about Jesus. And, and yes, we should do good things. We should be loving towards our community and, and hope that, hey, hey, these people will be compelled by our love for them to go ask more questions. But but when the time comes, we have to share our faith with people. We have to, to use our lips. And for some of us, maybe you fear doing that. Maybe you think, oh, I'll be rejected. I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm sure to say, just share what God's done in your heart. You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to have, like, all the Romans verses down on this big scroll, and you say, all right, I'm going to share with you the gospel. No, just share what God has done in your life. The third thing is we'll invite people to church. So if we've encountered God's love and we genuinely actually love gathering with his people in his presence, then we'll invite them to come and see what God is doing. So in John 1, this dude named Philip, 
He goes and meets Jesus, and he's like, this guy's pretty cool. So what does he do? He goes and gets his friend Nathaniel. He says, come and see what, or come and see this person. So for us, if we're encountering God in this space, we should say, come and see what God is doing at Grace Community. So I pray that this would be an inviting church where we just invite people to come and to see what God is doing. And the fourth thing is this, and this is the last thing. We'll send people to hard places. So if we've been compelled by God's love, we will leverage our resources. We're going to leverage our lives to see people go to the ends of the earth to bring the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And one of those tribes is the Panthers down the road, okay? We're going to use our resources. We're going to do whatever we can to reach hard places. Now, the secular university is one of the hardest places to reach people with the gospel. It's not the hardest. The hardest is probably somewhere in the Middle East, and we're going to send people there as well. But as a church, we need to be passionate about sending people to hard places. So here's my prayer. I'm not the pastor of this church, but it's just my prayer. I'm a member, whatever. Well, I'm not a member yet. I'm going to become a member. But anyways, uh, so here's my prayer. When missionaries come here to share about their mission, that this church would be the most giving church in our state. So that's something I do all the time. I share, and there's you know, some churches give a ton, some churches just, you know, give a little whatever, but I pray that people would want to come to Grace, like missionaries calling Nick every week, like, hey, can I preach? And then Nick can give up his whole calendar, or his whole preaching calendar, and just let missionaries come in here, because we're just giving them all our money, saying, go to the ends of the earth, proclaim the gospel. In Romans 10, 15, it's the verse following the one about hearing and believing and being saved. Paul says this, he says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So how can we reach Turkey? How can we reach the Middle East if we don't send people there? Now, some of us may be called to go there, but actually most of us are called to be in our community and to bring the gospel to our community and then leverage our finances, our resources, our prayers to send people to the ends of the earth. So I pray that this church would be a sending church. That's what it looks like to be a community that's compelled by God's love to live on mission. We're going to see the eternal value in each person. We're going to just look for opportunities to share the gospel. We're going to invite people to come and see, and we're going to send people to hard places. So there's one more story I want to share. We throw up the next picture here. This guy's name is Josh Hans. I can remember it like it was yesterday, but it was only two years ago, so it's not that long ago. But anyways, a couple years ago, I'm sitting in the back of this church. It's on a Tuesday or Tuesday morning, and, and I'm talking with this kid named Josh. And uh, Josh's mom had called me on the phone, and she said, hey, my son grew up in Assembly of God Church, and, and he went to the University of Iowa for two years, and he was you know, doing drugs, partying, doing all those things. So he then transferred to you and I trying to, or trying to get away from those things, and, and now he's been at you and I for a semester, and he's still doing all these things that just aren't honoring to God, and he needs someone to reach out to him, and Josh actually has a brother too, Jacob. Both of them are doing this, but Josh was the only one who would meet with me, so in the back of the church, we're talking, and Josh has tears in his eyes as he says, I just can't seem to get out of this lifestyle. I, I just can't find community to help me get out of this lifestyle. And I said to Josh, I said, I can't change your life. I can't fix this, but I believe Jesus can. And I said, Josh, would you come to our fall retreat? It was the next weekend. And, and Josh said, or said yes. And he had tickets to the Hawkeye football game. He gave those up to come. Pretty cool. But anyways, he comes to fall retreat. And on, the, on Friday night, he's at the altar and encounters God's love in a big way and just gives all his stuff to Jesus. And then on Saturday, he gets baptized in water, as you see the picture. I love that picture. Um, but then on Sunday, it doesn't stop there. See, the thing we're going to see in Josh's life is both of these points illustrated, okay? Because on Sunday, he goes home, and he calls me on the phone. And he says, Pastor Daniel, I have my pipe. I have my weed. Should I throw this away? And I said, yes, you should probably throw it away. <laughs> and, and he says, okay, I'm doing it. 
He says, my friends are telling me not to because, you know, that stuff's really expensive, but I'm going to do it because Jesus deserves it. That's what he said to me, and I said, yes, you're right. So he throws it away, and then on Monday, it doesn't stop there. I go to the weight room to work out. You know, I'm going to have some me time. You know, I've been working with people all week. I just want to, you know, work out, and I see Josh. He's got, like, a group of guys around him, and he's, like, preaching the gospel. He's, like, preaching the gospel to all these guys who have bloodshot eyes because they're high, and he's preaching the gospel to them, and one of them is his brother, Jacob, and he brings Jacob up to me. He says, you know, tell Jacob, or tell Jacob about Chi Alpha. And I said, you know, Jacob, you should come to Chi Alpha. It's this Thursday. Come join us. And, and Jacob looks at me, and he has tears in his eyes. He says, I just don't know what's happened to my brother. And I said, well, yeah, come and see what happened to your brother. So he comes to Chi Alpha on Thursday. We'll throw up the next picture here. And he slips in the back around. There's like 10 minutes left in service. I'm like, come on, dude. Anyways, he comes like 10 minutes left, and he raises his hand to be saved and to give his life to Jesus. And both of them are radically transformed. And here's the thing. Both of them just live this life of whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to share my faith with my friends. So there's one time we're doing baptisms. Actually, it's John Griffin's baptism in the WRC. And I see Josh in the corner with a lifeguard just praying, just praying over this, just praying over this lifeguard. I'm like, dude, we've been here for 30 seconds. <laughs> Give a rest, man. We're just going to do baptisms anyways. But that's the way Josh is. He just, or just has to share his faith because he's so compelled by God's love for him. So I pray that as a church we could just look at that and say, that's the way we want to be. Sometimes Josh, like, challenges me because I'm like, dude, you share your faith way more than I do, and I'm supposed to be the pastor here. And, uh, but I want to be a person that's so captured with God's love just as I was in July of 2011 that I just want to share my faith wherever I go. If I'm doing baptisms in a WRC, I'm going to get out of the pool and share my faith with a lifeguard who looks really freaked out. I'm going to do that because God's love compels me to do that. If Jocelyn could come up and just play the keys as I close here, I'm going to close it up, but uh, yeah, so again, the main idea today is this, the fuel for mission is love. So I'm talking a lot about God's love, and maybe some of you know what God's love is, but if you don't, if there's a chance you don't, I just want to share just one of my favorite passages in the Bible that just illustrates God's love, or it's Romans 5, 6 through 8. Paul says this, he says, he says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But probably not for a sinner is what he's saying. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the thing that changed me in July of 2011 was before I thought that my works was what got God to love me. I was good in children's church. All the old people in church loved me because I was actually raising my hands in worship and that kind of stuff. I thought I was doing things to earn God's love. And then once I went down this path, I realized that I can't bring anything to Jesus. I can't say, hey, Jesus, look what I've done. I've gotten you in my debt. I've done a few good things, and now you should love me. But instead, I had nothing. I had filthy rags, and I said, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you. Could you still love me? And his response was, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, I died for you. I demonstrated or demonstrated my own love for you in this. While you were still a sinner, you weren't performing at all for me. You weren't doing anything for me. You were actually really dishonoring me to your friends. I still died for you. And that changed me. I pray this morning that this gospel, that this truth, the good news of Jesus, that, that Christ came to live among men and he lived a perfect life and then paid a sinner's death. I pray that that truth would transform us and God's love would drive everything we do as a community. As we pursue the way of Jesus, we're not pursuing the way of Jesus in hopes that God will love us, but instead we're pursuing the way of Jesus because Jesus loved us so much. And we proclaim he is Lord. That's our mission statement. 
And we proclaim he is Lord not because we want to earn divine brownie points, but instead because Christ's love is compelling us to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So now what I want to do, I just want to invite Pastor Nick back up here. He's going to close the service for us. And I just pray this morning that you wouldn't walk out of here trying to try harder or do different things or be better, but instead you would just, or just look up and realize God's love for you. Thanks, guys. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. What a wonderful message, challenging both to me and to hopefully everybody here. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about what, um, what an encounter with God actually was, when he was trying to describe it, he said that rivers of living water would in some strange way flow out of our hearts, that there would be this kind of constant and continual uh, flow of God's love from God through us and out into the world, right? And if, we're, and if we've encountered God in some real and true sense, then that, then that flow should be present in our lives. And so, um, as we close today, I think we just want to do that. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. And if there's anyone here, if there's anyone here who hasn't uh, felt that, they don't feel as though they're connected to the love of God in that way, that they don't feel that Christ is their Lord and their Savior. I just ask that you could, if you could raise your hand now so that I could pray for you. We just don't want to leave without providing that opportunity. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we long to be a people who encounter your spirit, God, and who uh, experience your salvation. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room, God, that they would experience your love as though it were a river flowing out of the very center of their being, and then that would not just transform their experience of their lives, God, but that it would change, transform the experience of the lives of those with whom they come in contact on a daily basis. Jesus, help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom, people who carry your love wherever it is that we go and help people to encounter you and your goodness and your grace. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And before you leave, uh, we're going to receive this morning's offering. So um, if we could just have two of our, um, of our ushers stand at the doors and they, they can just give offering as they leave today. But um, so if you've notated that, you can do that. But uh, I just want to say, my goodness, thank you to Daniel. What a privilege it is to have him here and Emily here and to hear a message like that. It really is challenging and good for our community to continue to go out into this world and tell people the good news of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Go today in the grace and the peace of the Lord.